Hey there, friend. Listen, I want to invite you to join me for an upcoming presentation I'm offering called How to Shift from Willpower to Want Power. If you're tired of feeling like you have the best of intentions with food and weight, only to have it all fall by the wayside by the time your head hits the pillow at night, then this is for you. If you're interested in making permanent weight loss easier and less of a struggle, then this is for you. If you're curious what want power is, which you probably should be, and can't wait to learn how to incorporate it into your journey toward peace and freedom around food, then this is for you. I'll be presenting live twice on Wednesday, May 1st, 2024, at both noon and 7.30 p.m. Central Time Zone. I'll answer your questions live and we'll have a really good time together. But if you can't make either of those days, I'm not going to make you get a replay emailed into your inbox only for it to get lost and never be watched no matter how deeply you want to make time to go through it. Because I mean, honestly, who are we kidding? (laughs) We've all done this, including me. No, instead, we are offering multiple watch parties for several days after the live presentation. So come watch the replay with other doctors and interact in the chat with them and my team. So either way, whether you come live or to a watch party, it will be worth your time for sure. All you have to do is register at katrinaubellmd.com forward slash want power. That's katrinaubellmd.com forward slash w-a-n-t-p-o-w-e-r. See you there. You are listening to the Weight Loss for Busy Physicians podcast with Katrina Ubel, MD, episode number seven. This is Weight Loss for Busy Physicians, the podcast where busy doctors like you get the practical solutions and support you need to permanently lose the weight and feel better so that you can have the life you want. This is the resource you've been looking for to guide you on the journey to overcome your stress eating and exhaustion and move into freedom around food. Here's your host, Dr. Katrina Ubel. Hello, my lady doctors and everyone else, because I know I have a lot of listeners out there who are not doctors, but are just really interested in this work and interested in applying it. Maybe you work in healthcare, maybe you don't. And you know, welcome. You're welcome, no matter what. I love having you here. Thank you so much. If you're new to the podcast, maybe you just heard about it, please go ahead and subscribe. And for those of you who've been enjoying this, this these last couple of weeks, I would love it if you would leave me a rating and review, especially if this is something that is helpful to you, because that's going to help the podcast get noticed on iTunes. And what happens when it gets noticed on iTunes is that... It's easier for other people who could be helped, who would be interested by this podcast. It helps them to find it. So please go ahead and do that. And also, please tell your friends. If you have friends or colleagues who you think might be interested in this podcast, please share it with them so that they can start listening too. So today I want to jump right in. Last week, I had talked to you guys about the hunger scale and about food journaling. And I'd love to hear from you guys how that's going. I'd love to just get some insight into what you guys think about that. And has it been easy for you? Has it been something that's been a little bit more challenging to remember? And what 
insights are you getting into how you're eating, what you're eating, what are the patterns that are going on for you that are creating the result of being overweight or having just tons of food chatter, negotiating constantly about what food to eat and what not to eat, what plan to follow, things like that. So I would love it if you guys would go to the show notes page, either for this podcast or last podcast and type in some comments. Let me know what you guys are thinking, what's going on for you guys. And those show notes are available to you at katrinaubelmd.com forward slash seven for this podcast and forward slash six for last week's podcast. So I touched very, very ever so lightly and briefly last time on insulin and how that's important. And today I want to get into it a little bit more with you guys. At the end of the podcast, I'm going to recommend a book that is super comprehensive that has all the data for this that I'm going to teach you about um, that has just all the research that that supports this. And so if you are interested in learning more about this, or you're someone who really wants to read the studies, I highly recommend that you check that book out and then, you know, access the studies that are cited there. And at the end of the podcast, I'll give you the name of that and the author. Because you know, some of us really just don't want to take the time and, you know, to read all that we would just want some someone to kind of synthesize it for us. And that's what I'm going to do for you today here. And some of us really are, you know, more interested in really, really understanding the nuts and bolts of it. And so that will be available to you as well, if that's the kind of person that you are and what you like to do. So I want to just jump right in to uh, that three meal a day recommendation that I gave you guys. And some of you might be thinking, you know, like, what? That's, that's so, so crazy, right? To just eat three meals a day. And, you know, when you really think about it, we didn't start snacking just like as a society, as, you know, as humans, we didn't snack that much until kind of like, you know, the 80s. That's really when the snack food started taking off. And, you know, when you look at the research behind this and just the history of it, one of the main reasons we started snacking so much is because of the food manufacturers advertising snack foods. So creating snack foods, producing snack foods, and then uh, and then advertising to us that we needed snacks. My, one of my earliest recollections of that is watching TV when I was a kid and seeing this one commercial that was for Snickers. So for Snickers candy bars. And it was this, you know, young woman, college student who was in the dorms. And it showed her really studying and kind of going from the library into her dorms, into her dorm room, and then studying there for a while. And then, you know, the kind of the idea was like, oh, when you need a break, you know, a Snickers is what you need. And it kind of showed her eating the Snickers and then getting back to work and studying again. And I remember just thinking like, oh, I guess that's something that you do. I mean, I was a kid. I was probably less than 10. You know, I guess this is what you do when you're studying hard and you need some more energy. You you eat something, you know, and then it, then it's okay to actually eat a candy bar. You can eat a candy bar when you're studying, you're doing something good, right? You're trying to do well in school. So then you can eat a candy bar. It's so interesting how those commercials just completely help us to develop our belief systems about what we do, you know? So I wasn't probably regularly eating candy bars in college and in med school and stuff when I was studying, but I was definitely eating, you know, fat-free pretzels, 
<laughs> probably the worst thing I could have been eating. But just thinking like, oh, okay, yeah, if you're tired, if you're kind of bored, you need to focus more, just like, you know, snack a little bit. So the back to the food manufacturers, you know, what they realized was we probably can't get people to eat more food at their three meals a day. So if we can't get them to eat more food, then how about we create other eating opportunities? And we'll create special foods for those opportunities and we'll advertise them. And then, you know, people will buy our food starting to think like, oh yeah, I'll eat a snack. And so we are now at a point where people are just eating constantly, snacking constantly. And I won't get too much into it here. This is kind of a personal pet peeve, but especially for our children, I mean, everywhere they go, they're offered food or they're asked to bring a snack. You know, I mean... I didn't eat snacks in school growing up in elementary school, like maybe in kindergarten. But after that, we didn't do it at all. And I mean, you know, my oldest is in fifth grade, and it's still expected that he brings a snack. Now we're the weirdos who are like, yeah, you're actually not hungry. You eat a good breakfast. So you can just have some free time during snack time. You're not eating. And he, you know, my son's completely fine with that because he's not hungry. But everybody else is eating and what they're eating is generally simple carbs. You know, it's going to be some sort of bar. It's going to be dried fruit, you know, and these are the healthy snacks, right? This isn't even the things that are, are really just super sugary. It's not, you know, like a fruit leather or something. It's not going to be something that is going to give you lasting energy. It's just something that's going to shoot your blood sugar up, shoot your insulin levels up, and then, you know, you're on to the next thing. And I'm going to go into why that is not good for us. So anyway, so snacking is not a good thing. Now, some of you may not snack at all. I know I generally didn't snack that much back when I was in practice because I just didn't have time. You know, when I was in clinic, I mean, I was working. I didn't have time for anything. And I never really wanted to go and wash my hands up, you know, get the hand sanitizer off to, you know, stick something in my mouth. You know, I wasn't really, I really didn't want to do that. So I wasn't snacking a lot. But you know where I will tell you, I, I, I didn't think I was snacking, but I was actually snacking in the mornings. And I'll explain why. For many years, in order to not have to feel, you know, that kind of gnawing hunger around 10, 30, 11 in the morning in clinic and just being able to make it to lunchtime before being hungry, what I would do is I would have some breakfast, but I would also make myself or I'd get from a coffee shop, I'd get a chai you know, chai tea latte. And I would sip on that all morning long. And I would think like, oh, it's just got a little bit of sugar, just a little honey, that's not bad. And so that just having sips in between patients really, really helped me to stay, you know, not really full, but not hungry. That was really helpful for me. Now I know that that's probably one of the worst things I could have been doing because I was just, I might as well have just put it like, you know, in an IV and had a steady drip of glucose into my bloodstream because that's what I was doing for myself. And it was completely unnecessary. And it was definitely contributing to my weight issues. And I thought since it was fat free, it was fine. You know, no big deal, just a little bit of sugar. It's, it's fat-free, so it should be good. And it was actually terrible. So I'm going to explain to you why that was. But, you know, you might be thinking, you know, I'm in the OR all day, most days, like I am not snacking and that's totally great. But I want you to think about other places that you're eating a little something. Like, are you having a little something in the car when you're driving around between clinics or hospitals? Are you grabbing a handful of nuts after clinic and then going home and eating dinner? You know, are you eating dinner and then snacking at night? 
you know, just having like a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and then a bowl of ice cream, and then, you know, a beer or something like that. You know, are you adding in some extra food outside of mealtime in that way? So let's just get into what I wanted to talk with you guys about today. And so, you know, we talked last time that insulin is a storage hormone. You guys know that. And so when we're snacking a lot or we're eating frequently, our pancreas is being stimulated and and insulin levels go up. And that means that we're basically always in storage mode. Insulin is a storage hormone. If insulin levels are elevated, then we are going to be storing. We're going to be storing it in our cells to be used right away for energy for our bodies to function, or it might, um, that energy might end up going into the liver to be stored. And then if the liver is full, then it goes into our fat to be stored. Then, then the excess that we've eaten goes into our fat to be stored. And so then the only time that we're really accessing that fat and maybe even our liver storage is when we're sleeping. And we're none of us, most of us are not even sleeping enough. It's not like that's 10, 12 hours, you know, where we're not eating because we're snacking at night and then getting up and right away eating again. And so over the course of time, we just gain weight and gain weight. So I'm going to explain to you this concept that I had no idea about until, I mean, less than a year ago. I just did not know that the latest research was showing this. The latest research shows that we have a weight set point in our brains, So you guys may know this, some of you may know this, and this might be old news for you, but I think for a lot of you, this is going to be new. So just like we have a temperature set point in our brains that keeps us for the most part at 98.6, we have a weight set point as well. And so your weight set point is very likely what you weigh right now. And so that explains so much. So when you have a weight set point, say of 200 pounds, and like, this is the best example, right? You know, when you get the stomach flu, and then you lose like four or five pounds, because you just aren't able to eat. And some of it might be dehydration. But sometimes it really is like, no, you're hydrated, you just have lost all that weight. And you think, Oh, gosh, I hope that's real weight. I lost four or five pounds of fat with this illness. And then within a week or so, your weight is pretty much back to where it was. You're back at 200 pounds. The reason for that is not because you're eating excess food. The reason for that is because your weight set point is still at 200 pounds. So if you went down to 195 while you were sick, as soon as you're able to tolerate food again and you're eating again, even if you're eating like on plan, like, you know, the way you want to be eating, your body will go into major conservation mode to decrease your metabolism because it's thinking, oh my gosh, we have to get our weight back up to 200 pounds. Similar to when you get too cold. You know, if your body temperature is at 97 degrees, you will shiver to get yourself back up again. You know, this is just innately how our bodies function. And so then before you know it, you're right back up to your weight before you got sick again. And we kind of wonder, like, why does that happen? Like, it doesn't make sense. If you're thinking that a pound of fat is 3,600 calories, then it doesn't make sense. Well, the reason it doesn't make sense is because that whole calorie hypothesis is bunk. It just is not how our bodies function. We can't sum up our, you know, human bodily processes and function in a simple math equation. It just doesn't work that way. So another example, though, is think about a naturally thin person. So somebody who weighs, you know, 130 pounds and is really pretty consistent at 130 pounds. And then they go on vacation and they splurge a little bit, they indulge a little bit, and they gain five pounds on vacation. 
Then they come back and within two weeks, the five pounds is off without them even really doing anything. They go back to their normal eating and the five pounds goes off. It just comes right off. And why is that? You know, is it that they're really just lucky? They're just genetically blessed? It's really not that. Really what it is, is that their body weight set point is at 130 pounds. Then they become 135 pounds and the body says, oh, hey, we've got excess on board. Let's rev that metabolism up and let's burn off those five pounds because they're excessive. We don't need them. And that's similar to when you have a fever you know, if your temperature goes up to 102, and then you take some Tylenol or ibuprofen, and your temperature set point decreases, now you're too hot, and you start sweating, and you're throwing all the covers off, and you're, you know, you just need to take kind of a tepid shower, like you're just so hot, because the body's like, we got to get this heat off of us, we're too hot. It's the same thing with the weight. Hey, we got to get these five pounds off. It's too much. I'm supposed to be at 130 pounds. So if you are, you know, consistently overweight, then your weight set point is too elevated. That is that is basically the problem. And uh, and so we need to get that weight set point down. And so when you do a, a low fat calorie restricted diet for weight loss, you will lose maybe quickly, maybe not kind of depends. Some people respond differently, but it becomes pretty uncomfortable over the course of time because what we're not doing in that kind of a diet is reducing the weight set point. So say you're 200 pounds and you lose 30 pounds on like say Weight Watchers. So you go down to 170 and you're trying to lose, your rate of loss is slowing down. You may be starting to get a little bit frustrated. So there's that kind of, you know, the mental component of it, the why am I not getting the results? Again, when we have that belief system that, you know, uh, that if we eat 3,600 fewer calories than we need, then we should be losing a pound of fat. And why isn't my body uh, cooperating and doing that? You know, then, then we have these expectations and our bodies don't respond. We get frustrated, but we also start feeling just really crummy, right? We just don't have energy. We're crabby. We're really hungry. The food that we do eat is not satisfying. You know, we're always in a state of just feeling really unsatiated. And then as soon as we go off of that diet a little bit, we regain that weight and quickly, you know, the weight comes back on lickety split and then sometimes more, right? So then all of a sudden we're 205 pounds or 210 pounds and that weight set point got bumped up because of, of eating to accommodate for, you know, that intolerable feeling that we had. So really, ultimately, when we are wanting to lose weight, we need to reduce that weight set point. And in order to reduce the weight set point, we need to reduce our insulin levels. And in order to reduce our insulin levels, we need to eat less often. You know, it, it, it's just if you're eating all day long, your insulin levels are always elevated. It's just straight up fact, right? It's how it is. So when we cut out the snacking, when we cut out all the excessive grazing and eating at night, we by default reduce our insulin levels. If you eat dinner at six or seven, and then you don't eat again until six or seven in the morning, that's a 12 hour fast. That's a long time where your insulin levels are lower and your body needs that to reduce that weight set point. In addition to that, we need to eat fewer foods that create a significant insulin response. So what are the foods that create that significant insulin response? And the two main groups that do this are sugar and flour. So what they have in common is that they're very concentrated and they're highly refined. 
And so our bodies can process them and digest them very quickly. So we get a very quick increase in our blood sugar levels. And then of course, the insulin levels follow with that. So the insulin levels are sky high. We are storing right and left all over the place. What gives us the least insulin response is fat when we eat dietary fat. And then protein gives us a modest amount. Complex, it, the order goes simple carbohydrates give us the strongest response, then complex carbohydrates, then protein, then fat. So ultimately, when we're choosing what to eat, we want to eat more fat, a moderate amount of protein, and fewer simple carbs. So I'll repeat that. We want to eat more fat, a moderate amount of protein, and fewer or no simple carbs. And so I want to make it clear that what I'm not suggesting is that you eat a low carb diet necessarily. Some people say, oh, okay, so this is the high fat, low carb thing. No, (laughs) now you can choose to do that if that's what you want. I mean, that's completely fine. Some people really do a lot better on a low carb diet. They lose weight better, you know, especially people with certain endocrine related issues. They just do much better on a low carb diet. And if that is you, please go for it. That is fantastic. Go ahead. But not everybody necessarily needs a low carb diet and not everybody necessarily feels good physically when they're on a low carb diet. So you still can eat starchy vegetables, you're eating your sweet potatoes, your white potatoes, your squashes, things like that. Um, And then whole grains in their whole form. So not whole grain bread, you're eating, you know, if you want to eat wheat, then you're eating wheat berries, or you're eating quinoa, or you're eating brown rice, things like that. But when you eat those, you make sure you have fat. So for instance, when I cook brown rice for my family, I add a bunch of olive oil and some salt, and it tastes fantastic. You know, think about Italian people, right? They eat so much olive oil, and they eat bread, right? You know, bread and pasta and everything is totally a huge part of their diet. So why are they, you know, generally naturally thin? And so much of it is because of the fat that they eat. They are not measuring out their olive oil by the teaspoon. You know, they are <laughs> measuring out by the glugs, you know, glug, glug, glug as they're they're pouring it out. And that's why the food tastes so amazing, especially if you've ever been to Italy. The food is unreal because it has fat and that fat helps to counteract that insulin response. You get some insulin response from the starches from the pasta or the or the risotto or or whatever you're eating that's starchy like that, but the fat first of all helps you to become full and nice and satiated earlier so you don't eat so much. You're not eating, you know, pasta till the cows come home because you're just trying to get full so that it lasts you. And um, so you're then by default eating less of the starch, and that fat is helping to keep your insulin levels lower and helping you to stay fuller longer. And you have just such a nice, comfortable, full feeling in your stomach when you eat that way. So, so like I said, some people really do better when they restrict those starches, like even the vegetable starches and others don't. I personally do a lot better when I have some starches. I don't eat potatoes or sweet potatoes every single day, but I eat them multiple times a week. And there's lots of ways that you can play around with that, that I, when I work with my clients, I, I offer that to them, especially when we start hitting plateaus. It's a great way of mixing things up, getting out of homeostasis. You know what a plateau is, is homeostasis. And so we just need to to sort of change it up and get the body rethinking and on it back on its toes again. So it starts releasing some more fat. So when you're only eating three times a day, it's so easy to food journal, right? Because only three times a day, do you even need to put anything in? 
And it's just so much easier to to hold yourself to that commitment because you're not constantly going like, oh my gosh, then I ate a little piece of hard candy. Now I got to put, put that in. You know, <laughs> I grabbed, you know, the peanut butter filled pretzels and, you know, had a handful of those. Got to put that in. Had a couple of chips. Got to put that in. So you're doing yourself a favor for so many reasons when you're only eating three times a day. And the thing is, when you eat three times a day that have plenty of uh, meals that have plenty of fat in them, they taste so good. You've never had as good of a salad and as filling and sating of a salad as, you know, a salad with a bunch of, you know, great veggies and then some good protein on there and then some great fat. You know, you have avocado and then you have maybe, you know, a hard boiled egg or something and then, you know, some full fat ranch dressing without sugar in it, which by the way, the best place to look for the sugar free dressings that are high fat are in the produce department, that, you know, refrigerated area where they have those refrigerated dressings, check those out. A lot of the shelf stable dressings have some sugar added to them. And a lot of the packets do too, like the Hidden Valley Ranch and stuff like that, if you're making it yourself. So, so like a full fat ranch or a full fat blue cheese dressing, your salad is amazing. It tastes so good. And you finish eating it and you are full, right? Like you're actually like, that was amazing. That tasted so good. It's not that salad of like, uh, that's it. That's all I get. You know, how it's like, raise your hand if you've eaten a salad like that. I certainly have. So you're looking forward to your salad. You're knowing that your salad is going to taste amazing. You're giving your body high quality ingredients that are, you know, helping you to feel the way you need to feel so you can get the results that you want. So I do want to just point out that if you start doing this, okay, so you start eating three meals a day, you're journaling, you're doing the hunger scale, and um, you're eating more fat and getting off the flour and sugar, and you don't start losing weight right away, nothing has gone wrong, okay? It's so easy. I see this in my clients all the time. You know, first week, we don't lose any weight, and it's like, you know, they're already ready to give up. Like this isn't working. I, I so often have people say, if I don't see immediate results, then this just isn't going to work. And I just love that, right? Like if this isn't super easy, <laughs> I'm going to have a tantrum and I'm just going to quit and, you know, go home with my toys and stay fat. <laughs> you know, so it's like, who are you really hurting? You're only hurting yourself, right? So patience, patience, patience. If you have been overweight for any length of time, you are very likely insulin resistant. And if you're insulin resistant, then you're very likely not going to start losing weight right away when you do this, because you need to get your body more insulin sensitive to reduce your overall insulin levels to get the results of getting that weight set point down and getting and losing weight, releasing that fat. So sometimes we go a month or even longer before the actual weight starts to drop. And I just want to encourage you that nothing has gone wrong. This is how it's supposed to go. Your body is adapting. It's relearning how to function so that you are not a sugar burner, as we call it, you know, somebody who is your body is just asking for simple carbs. Every time you're hungry, you get that like, Oh, my God, I'm going to faint like, Oh, I can't tolerate this hunger, I need to eat immediately kind of a thing. That's what happens when you eat that flour and sugar. Once you get off of flour and sugar, and you're what's called fat adapted, that means that your body is super efficient at tapping into your body fat stores to 
basically perform gluconeogenesis and give you energy. You know, it's like, what's the point in having these fat stores if you're going to feel like garbage, right? Like, why does my body feel make me feel like crap when I need to eat if I have all this fat that it could be eating, right? It's this like paradox. It doesn't make any sense. The reason why it does make sense is because the body is just trying to be efficient. It's like, hey, if I just make you feel like garbage when I need some more energy, and then you right away are funneling the sugar and the, you know, the simple carbs right in, then I don't have to work hard. It's a lot harder to actually produce glucose out of your body fat, you know, have to synthesize all this stuff. You know, it's it's so much easier. So I'll just I'll just do this because when I do this, it works and you feed me. So there's going to be a period of time where your body is just like, holy moly, what is happening here? I, What is the deal? And I would just encourage you that when you are going off of flour and sugar, you might feel pretty crummy for a couple of days. And I want to make sure you're eating enough fat when you're doing that. You need to eat fat, plenty of fat. And that can be avocado, that can be full fat salad dressings, that can be full fat dairy, that can be, you know, cooking your food in lots of coconut oil or olive oil or melted butter. You know, like you saute vegetables, they taste amazing when they have a bunch of, uh, you know, you've sauteed them in in a bunch of oil. So that's going to make you feel a lot fuller. You're going to be getting the energy that you need. You're supplying your body with tons of energy via fat. And and then your body is, is able to convert, you know. I'll go from that sugar burner to that fat adapted metabolism. So this is just getting going on it. This is this is the the first couple of months of what I have people do on my one on one you know coaching program. And so I just want to share this with you guys so that you can get going on it too and see how you're doing. And if you have any questions about this, then please put them in the show notes. Like I said, katrinaubellmd.com forward slash seven. And then I did promise you that I was going to tell you what that book is that has all the research behind this. The name of the book is called The Obesity Code, and it's by Jason Fung, F-U-N-G. And he is a, is a nephrologist out of Toronto who was just working with so many type 2 diabetic patients and just wondering why they were, you know, giving more and more insulin and these people could not lose weight. They were getting fatter and fatter. And he started down this long rabbit hole of figuring out why what we're doing isn't working and how blaming the patient is not the answer. You know, what we needed to do was rethink this whole process of how our bodies function best and how our bodies release fat the best. So I highly recommend checking into that book. I'll have a link to that book in the show notes as well. If you want to hit that up and click on that and uh, find that book as well on Amazon. So, okay, you guys. Yeah, I think that was the the majority of what I wanted to cover with you guys today. I think this is really good stuff. It's completely, seriously changed my life. I hope you can see how you can apply this to any eating, right? There are vegan people who do this, vegetarian, you know, all the way up to, you know, people who are doing, you know, the paleo and that, all that kind of stuff. So, oh, I didn't mention, you know, other high fat, you know, things you can eat are higher fat cuts of meat. If you're a meat eater, you can definitely do that as well. Like eat the chicken thighs instead of the chicken breast, that kind of thing, or the, you know, higher fat ground beef instead of the lean turkey or the super lean ground beef, things like that are what you're going to be looking for. So, okay, you guys, excellent. You guys have a wonderful week. So excited that I got to share that with you guys. And I will talk to you again next week. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us on Weight Loss for Busy Physicians. Now, take the next step and go to KatrinaUbellMD.com to download just what you need. 
Join us again next week for more support to keep you in control and on the path to freedom around food.